0: A.W. Tozer, a pastor and writer in the early 20th century, once asked the question, he said, why do some people find, and he has quotes around that, why do some people find God in a way that others do not? Have you ever asked that question? Or maybe you've asked one like it, why does God's presence seem to be so tangible for that person over there and not for me over here? Have you asked that before? Um... Tozer goes on to say that the will of God is the same for us all, that he has no favorites in his household. All he has ever done for any of his children, he will do for all of his children. The difference lies not with God, but with us. Now, I think a small caveat must be said here, um, that there certainly is such a thing as the dark night of the soul. Some of you, if you've been with our church for very long, you may have heard us talk about that. Uh, preach about it. It's it's also in our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. But the dark night refers to this experience where despite all of the earnestness of faith practices and spiritual disciplines and doing all of the right things, a lot of air quotes today feel a little bit like Joey Tribbiani, if y'all know what I'm sorry. Um, it's a Friends reference. Uh, despite doing all of the right things, A person's experience of God is that God is a million miles away, seemingly silent and unmoved by one's suffering. That isn't what Tozer is talking about, okay? And I just want to be clear on that. The question that Tozer addresses is one that I don't know about you, but I've asked many times throughout life. It's, what's the deal? Why does God seem to be so palpably present to that person over there and not to me over here am i doing something wrong and the honest answer to that question is well maybe so and if that answer just made you a little bit uncomfortable then let me say to you welcome to lent lent is a little bit uncomfortable because it's in this season of the church year more than any other that we we face our own failure to overcome sin even just reading through our liturgy and, and some of the emphases for this season, some of you might have noticed, um, you know, as as it was pointed out that the confession shifted from the the back end of the sermon to the front end of the sermon. And so there's even this sort of movement in our liturgy that underscores this penitential emphases for the season. And just in reading through it all, and certainly if you joined us this past Wednesday for Ash Wednesday, you'll you'll notice this that there's an edge to it. Right? that makes me, and maybe it makes you too, but it makes me a little uncomfortable, and for good reason. But I'll return to that in a moment. I just, I just kind of want to help frame this Lenten season for you. Lent is like this valley between the mountains of Epiphany and Easter. When we walk through this valley, we learn to trust in Jesus more and in our own power less. So we look back to Epiphany, and we see that it was Jesus who was born to save the world. We weren't born to save the world. I wasn't. You weren't. Jesus was born to save the world. And then we look ahead to Easter, and we see that it was Jesus who accomplished what we could not. That was the ultimate defeat of death. I didn't do that, and you didn't either. We couldn't. And so what this place in between this valley of lent holds for us we heard father robert say in his sermon last week it isn't introspection but it's just an examination of the state of our souls given who jesus is where it's an examination of of where we are so during lent we're not concerned about becoming better people not necessarily concerned about losing weight or you know trying to get healthier That may be a byproduct of some of the fasting that we do. This isn't about strengthening our resolve or willpower or self-help and self-improvement. It's definitely not about earning our way to God or to heaven. But what Lent is really about is clearing the pathway of all of the junk that blocks us, that collects and blocks us and weighs us down, that we might draw near to God freely, unencumbered, unhindered, It's considering Tozer's words that the difference lies not with God, but with us. And it's asking the question, what is it within me that is hindering my experience of God's love, His His grace and mercy and and peace? You see, a huge problem in our lives is that we can be so incredibly uh, nearsighted. And I don't mean with our, our eyes and visions. I mean with our attention and our hearts when we aren't intentional about examining this, this clutter of our souls and seeking to rid ourselves of those things, those sins, that hinder us from experiencing God's gracious mercy and love, then we begin to take on this posture that we're the center of all things. And when we're the center of all things, then we have no patience for those people or plans that don't bend to us and to our benefit, And so our way of living becomes less about loving and serving and giving and caring for the least, and it becomes much more about gaining comfort and control within our lives and and shoring up our earthly palaces with earthly things and ideas. And so this, this isn't like this conscious thing that we do. I think for most of us, it's not a conscious thing, but it's this insidious thing that happens on the subconscious level and it infects our lives and spreads to our hearts so that before we know it we've forgotten those beautiful words of John the Baptist who said he must become greater and i must become less in the shadows of this lenten valley that we walk the shadows over that valley are here to remind us that our help and salvation comes not from within but it comes from the hills the psalmist says i lift my eyes to the hills From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Another thing I would add is is that it's also in this valley that we learn how to grieve our insufficiency. I know that we talk a lot about grief in this church, but I would submit to you that grief over the spiritual death caused by sin is the most appropriate and holy response. And for some of you, the work that God needs to do in your heart this season is really just getting you to the point that you actually grieve sin, not just lip service. We grieve the fact that we cannot save ourselves, that there's no amount of brute force or willpower that will deliver us from it from our most evil thoughts and desires and actions. They will show up time and time again. And I do want you to understand that, that grief is different from shame. Father Taylor uh, mentioned that in his Ash Wednesday sermon, that we aren't meant to journey through this Lenten season with shame, ashamed of ourselves. Lent isn't this season of holy finger wagging. And it, it can really easily slide into that for a lot of us, to slide into the shame, into this belief that we are unloved, and unlovable because we just can't pull our act together, but that's the whole point. We can't pull our act together, right? So a couple of weeks ago, there was this incident right outside of our home that involved um, a person who was obviously not in a very good place um, and had made a, a poor decision that day that ended badly. No one died, but it certainly wasn't pretty. And um, the next day, we get a knock at our door, and it's the local news station, and they want to do an interview about what had happened. And my wife Lynn, who had been there when the incident occurred, and she rushed out and provided aid to the person who was involved. And um, but Lynn said to him, "No, no, I'm not. I'm not going to heap." more onto this communal pile of reasons that could cause this person more shame and more embarrassment and add to whatever pain this person may have. Not going to do it. And to be frank with you, some of you get this, the neighborhood Facebook page was doing plenty of that. We weren't going to add to that. And, and I, I was outside as well, and I, just, I said to this reporter, who, let, me, let me just say that I do understand that the reporter was doing his job and it was assignment that he was given. But I told him, I said, that any one of us at any given moment are one bad decision away from ending up on the news. That's our reality. And he said, yeah, I get that. I, I hope he does. And I hope you do too. I hope the people of Jesus who follow Jesus get it. Because if we do, it isn't shame that we'll live by. It isn't shame that will heap on ourselves and heap onto others. Is't shame that we'll be known by in this world. And as I've got to be real with you, one of the most discouraging things for me to watch is, to, is, is so-called Christians heaping shame onto others. Yeah, and I admit, I've, I have done that many times, but it breaks my heart. What if, imagine if? we were actually known for our grace and love. And instead of demanding that we and others get things perfectly, instead of treating life as an act that we just pull it together, just enough strength, enough self-help books, enough knowledge, enough we can pull it, maybe, maybe what we can actually begin to do is to journey together. This call to a holy Lent, this this work of self-examination, is a work that we do in the context of a community that is called to holiness and love. You are not alone. And there has only ever been one person who's faced temptation and didn't cave in. Only one didn't fail. What strikes me about Jesus' interaction from our gospel reading this morning about his interaction with Satan in the wilderness A lot strikes me, but one of the things that gives me such hope and encouragement is that even Jesus had to fight. It wasn't exactly easy for him. Jesus didn't just snap his fingers. He didn't choose to snap his fingers and make Satan and his temptations go away. And so, first of all, we know Jesus was hungry. He had just completed a 40-day, 40-night fast, and that's when, upon his completion, that's when the devil came to him. I remember from some of my own counseling, I was given the acronym HALT, H-A-L-T. Some of you may have heard of this before. It's hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. When we're any one of those four things, we tend to make really bad decisions. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You walk through the grocery store hungry, you're going to spend a lot more money, right? And then, of course, worse things than that. But just consider with me that Jesus was hungry, And without food for 40 days, I imagine he was physically tired. And without company, he was lonely. And then the first company to show up at the end of this marathon fast is who? It's the devil. I would be angry. Maybe Jesus was, at least annoyed. And then it isn't like Jesus spoke one word and the devil went away. He just kept on and on. Verse 3, and the tempter came and said, verse 5, then the devil took Jesus and said, verse 8, again the devil took him and he showed him and said to him, notice how much of the movement in this passage is by the devil. One right after the other. Just temptation upon temptation upon temptation and yet Jesus, as hungry, angry, lonely, or tired as he might have been, he still overcame. How? One, by the word of God. And two, we shouldn't forget who led him into the wilderness to begin with. Do you all remember? The Holy Spirit. So how did Jesus overcome? In spirit and in truth. And friends, I would encourage you during this season in keeping a holy Lent to declutter your life of the things, of the sin that hinders you from living in spirit and in truth. And I, I realize that's a lot easier said than done. That's kind of one of those preachy things that sounds good. But it's like, how do I do that? Um, one of the hard parts, I know, is just recognizing sin for what it is. Recognizing the the clutter. It's like living in a home so long and you know where things are placed that you don't see it as clutter anymore. It's just your house, right? And so I want to revisit this litany from Ash Wednesday, and and even for those of you who were at at our Ash Wednesday service, this can hopefully be a good reminder to talk about what is some of the clutter. So listen to this. Our unfaithfulness and disobedience. The pride, vanity, and hypocrisy of our lives. Our self-pity and impatience. Our envy of those we think more fortunate than us our unrighteous anger, bitterness, and resentment, lies, gossip, and slander against our neighbors, our sexual impurity, our exploitation of other people, and our failure to give of ourselves in love, our self-indulgent appetites and ways, and our intemperate pursuit of worldly goods and comforts, our dishonesty in daily life and work, our ingratitude for God's gifts and our failure to heed His call, our blindness to human need and suffering and our indifference to injustice and cruelty, our wastefulness and misuse of His creation and our lack of concern for those who come after us, false judgments, prejudice and contempt of others, uncharitable thoughts towards our neighbors, our negligence in prayer and worship, our presumption and abuse of God's means of grace, seeking the praise of others rather than the approval of God, our failure to commend the faith that is in us. Are you uncomfortable yet? I am. And yet, this clutter of sins scattered around the homes of our hearts cannot be overcome through willpower alone. It has to be with the help of God in spirit and in truth. So, if your desire is to experience God's presence in fresh, new ways, if your desire is to shorten the felt distance between you and God, take advantage of what Lent has to offer. It's really a beautiful season. And just to give you some practical ideas, I want to just offer you one. Yes, definitely consider prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Those are ancient, well-founded ways of keeping this season, and you're you're probably going to hear us talk about them in some form or fashion throughout this season. Um, No doubt some of you have, have given up or you're fasting something already. But this morning, I'd, I'd like to maybe give one sort of handhold for you to consider with prayer. Just one. And know that I'll be doing this with you. So end each day with a five to ten minute, it can be journaling or conversation or voice memo, but it's, it's really prayer. End each day with five to ten minutes of thinking back through your day, asking God to walk you back through your day, reviewing it. And consider four questions. What is one thing that happened today that I'm thankful for? What is one thing today that happened that grieves me? What is one thing that is cluttering my life and cluttering the way to God? And what is one hope that I have for tomorrow? A couple of you writing it down. What is one thing, one thing that happened today that I'm thankful for? What is one thing that happened today that grieved me? What is one thing that I know is cluttering my pathway to God? And what is one hope I have for tomorrow? And then I would encourage you to take this little journal entry and continue to pray through it. Five to ten minutes. Now, first of all, I didn't make this up. Some of you may have heard of the prayer of examine, and this is just a very condensed and modified take on that. And here's the thing, too. I, I won't promise that you'll feel any closer to God. I won't make that promise to you. But I believe that the spiritual reality is that you will be. And instead of feeling shame for your failures, what I believe will happen is that you'll find that grace and mercy begin to seep in through the cracks. And instead of feeling the sense of, like, I've got to pull my act together, I think you'll find a peace in trusting a God who made it so you don't have to. I think and hope what you'll find above all else is really the gift of what Lent is. It's freedom. Anglican scholar uh, N.T. Wright said this. He said, Lent is a time for discipline, for confession, for honesty, not because God is mean or fault-finding or finger-pointing, but because he wants us to know the joy of being cleaned out, ready for all the good things he now has in store. So may you and I, in keeping a holy Lent, know that joy, know that joy, and readiness for the good things ahead. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.